This morning's reading is found on page 26 in the Church Bibles. It's taken from Genesis chapter 25, beginning to read at verse 19. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the elder will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Lord God, we do praise you for your, your sovereignty, your mercy. Thank you that as we stand here, as we sit here, we gather this morning. We do so because of your mercy. And so we do pray this morning you would reveal something more of that to us, that we would understand it more fully, and that we'd be more willing to give our whole lives to you in faith and obedience. So speak to us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last year, if you were here, we did a sermon series on the character of Abraham, looking at chapters 12 to 22 of Genesis. It was entitled, The God of Promise, because God made a significant promise to Abraham, that Abraham would have an heir. And through that heir, a people would be saved from the guilt and the penalty of sin and would belong to God forever. Through that air, salvation would come to all nations. 
And as we saw, the, the story of Abraham is not just important to, to Jews, it's important for each one of us uh, here this morning. Because it's not really a story about a person, but a story about God and his promises for the salvation of humankind, which if we are Christians here, we have benefited from ourselves. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob is, is our God. So over the next few weeks, we're going to return to the book of Genesis and follow the story of Abraham's grandson, Jacob, which again is not really a story about a person. It's a story about God himself and how we should relate to him. So let's have a look at this story. If you've got your Bibles handy, open them to uh, chapter 25. And we're going to look at 25, 26, 27. We're going to skip through them a bit and pull out the main points. Uh, The order of these chapters isn't chronological. So chapter 25 seems to give us the the big picture, the summary of of Isaac's life. Uh, Then chapter 26 goes back to the story of Isaac and Rebekah before they had children. And, uh, And then chapter uh, and that's very similar to the story of, of Abraham. There is um, a famine in the land. Do you remember there was a famine in the land with, with Abraham? And if we look at verse 2 of uh, chapter 26, look what it says there. It says, The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Abraham showed his obedience to God by by going when God called him to go. Isaac shows his obedience to God by staying, as God has called him to do. Like his, uh, his grandfather, he wasn't perfect. Um, he makes the same mistakes. And out of fear of the people in the land where he's living, he pretends that his wife, Rebecca, is his sister. Well, now, when Abimelech, uh, the king of the Philistines, finds out, he's pretty angry that he's been deceived in this way. But he still allows them to stay in the land And again, the Lord blesses Isaac. Have a look at verse 12. It says, Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. Isaac became so wealthy that he became a threat to the Philistines and was therefore told by Abimelech, "Um, actually it's time now for you to leave this country. We don't want you here anymore. So he and his family settled in Beersheba, where once again God repeats his blessing. Have a look at verse 24. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So things are going well. Isaac is receiving the blessings of the Lord, but he's not yet received that key blessing, the blessing of children, of offspring, in order that that promise to Abraham can be fulfilled. So let's go back to, to chapter 25. And in verse 19, we're told that, um, that Isaac was 40, 40 years old when he married Rebecca. But then in verse 21, uh, it says Isaac um, prayed 
to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. In the very next verse, it says, The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca became pregnant. Just like Abraham's wife, Sarah, um, before, who is also childless. Now, that all seems very straightforward, you think. Um, Isaac prayed, and the Lord answered his prayer. But look ahead to verse 26. Because there it says, Isaac was 60 years old when Rebecca gave birth to them, the twins. Isaac had been praying for 20 years. That required a lot of patience. It required a lot of persistence in prayer. And although uh, Rebecca becoming pregnant was an answer to 20 years of waiting, that wasn't suddenly the end of all their, their worries. In fact, in many ways, it was just the start. Rebecca was pregnant with twins, which would have been hard enough for, uh, for any mother. But even before they were born, we're told in verse 22, the babies jostled each other within her. Now, Rebecca did the right thing. Uh, she went, we're told here, to inquire of the Lord, why is this happening to me? And what does the Lord say? He says, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the elder will serve the younger. Now, the boys are very different, both in physical appearance and in temperament. Esau is described as red and hairy. Um, he's physically strong. He's active. He's a skillful hunter. Um, enjoys the open country. While uh, Jacob appears as a bit of a bit of a homeboy. Maybe Isaac inherited some of his father's character, um, and Jacob was more like his mother. And so we're told each of their favorite. And they showed it, which is not great parenting. Um, but as the eldest son, Esau does have an important responsibility. He was the one who was born first, even though they were twins. Um, but he doesn't seem able to live up to it, does he? He seems to live for the moment. Uh, he can't think ahead. Um, and so when he comes home one day from, from hunting, feeling famished, all he can think about is filling his stomach. Anyone who has teenage boys will know what that's like when the question comes as soon as they arrive through the door. Is there anything to eat? Esau sees that Jacob's been making some stew. And he's desperate for some of it. And Jacob, of course, is, uh, is a little bit different. He's a schemer. He's an opportunist. And he sees his chance to take advantage of the situation. And so he says, first sell me your birthright. A bit of an outrageous claim, really. You expect it to be just dismissed by, by Esau. A birthright was the, the natural privilege of the firstborn son. Uh, it meant becoming the head of a family when the father died, being responsible for the welfare of the younger sons, the widow, and any unmarried daughters, having authority over them. It also included a double portion of the inheritance of the father. So that's something you're going to give up lightly. But Esau replies to Jacob in verse 32, Look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? Sounds a bit dramatic, doesn't it? Um, a bit like when your children say they're starving. You tell them, actually, you don't know what starving is. Let's take you to Africa and show you what starving's really like. But Jacob... He still wants to make sure he's got a deal here. So he says, swear to me first. Esau isn't particularly bothered, and so he says it swore. He swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. 
Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. And the chapter finishes with almost a judgment on what Esau has done. So Esau despised his birthright. This was a huge responsibility. It was a huge privilege that he's given up for a bowl of stew. Well, let's jump forward to, to chapter 27 um, for another story. If chapter 25 shows Jacob's cunning, Esau's recklessness, lack of responsibility, chapter 27 reveals the, the deceit, both of Jacob and his mother Rebekah, as well as Isaac's uh, uh, gullibility and Esau's humiliation. So Isaac is now an old man. Uh, he wants to bless uh, Esau is the firstborn before he dies, and so he tells him to prepare his favorite dish, which means first going out and hunting some wild game. Rebecca comes up with a scheme in which Jacob could pretend to be Esau in order to get the blessing for himself. And so she's even prepared to let the curse fall on her. She's pretty desperate for her favorite son. Now, it's difficult to know what prompts her to do this, isn't it? Um, is it just because Jacob is her favorite? Or maybe it's because uh, of that original promise by God that Esau would serve Jacob, the, the older would serve the younger. And she hasn't seen that happen yet. So maybe she's just taking things into her own hands, which is a mistake we all often make, isn't it? Not trusting in God, being patient enough to wait for him, but going ahead and doing things in our own strength. Well, Jacob spots a potential flaw in the plan. So hang on a minute. Um, Esau's got hairy skin. I've got smooth skin. I don't think uh, our father's going to fall, fall for that one. He may be blind, but he's still got a sense of touch. But Rebecca's thought of that as well. And um, she says, well, we'll cover your hands, your neck with um, goat skins. So you'll appear hairy, something like this. So Jacob comes to his father, and uh, his eyes are suspicious. Uh, firstly, that he's managed to hunt the game, prepare a meal quite so quickly. Um, and so he tells Jacob to come near him. He's obviously pretending to be Esau. He tells him to come near him. And it says here, the voice is the voice of Jacob. But the hands are the hands of Esau. And he even asks him straight, are you really my son Esau? And in a blatant lie, Jacob replies, I am. There's been a lot of discussion this week, hasn't there, about um, uh, lying, uh, particularly with the appointment of a new prime minister and cabinet, um, uh, people's past records. Somehow, honesty is no longer valued as much as it once uh, was, and certain things don't disqualify you from office any longer. Believing, though, that the person before him is his son Esau, because he said he was, Isaac proceeds to bless him. And look at the blessing. In verse uh, 28, this is it on the screen. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Well, Jacob then disappears, and uh, his brother arrives back to, to receive the blessing due to him. Um, and Isaac realizes too late what has happened. And says to him, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. 
Esau is furious at his brother. He begs his father for some of the blessing. Um, but this is what um, Isaac replies. He replies, he says, I've made him Lord over you, and I've made all his relatives his servants, and I've sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Well, Isaac's uh, heartbroken. Um, Esau weeps uh, and quietly vows to, to get his revenge on his brother. Now, well, Jacob's deception is clearly wrong. But also you have to ask yourself, well, if Isaac knew that God um, was going to make sure that the, the elder would serve the younger, why didn't he give Jacob the blessing anyway um, without having to be deceived in that way? But we won't go there because what do we learn about God and our response to him from these stories? Because as we said, these are relevant for us today. The first is that God is faithful in his promises, but we should keep praying. If God has promised something will happen, it will happen. And the first promise we see in this passage is the one made to Isaac, that he would inherit the promise made to his father Abraham, that from his offspring would come the saviour of the world. But it wasn't happening. Um, Rebecca was childless. Now there are two mistakes Isaac could have made at this point, aren't there? He could have thought, well, God has promised he will bless me with offspring. Um, I'll therefore I'll just sit back and wait for it to happen. Uh, I don't need to pray or do anything like that. Or he could have said, um, well, I've been praying for 20 years now. I know God promised he would, but it doesn't look like he's really going to fulfill his promise. I might as well give up. It's a waste of time spending all that time in prayer. And either way, that would have been wrong, wouldn't it? Um, we're not meant to be passive fatalists. We're meant to actively cooperate with God in his grace. God fulfills his promises through our prayers. That's why he calls us to be a praying people. Last week, remember, we looked at the promise uh, of God in the book of Jude, that he will keep us from stumbling. It doesn't mean we we just sit back and and let it happen. We still have to pray for protection from, from Satan, for protection from temptation, to pray that we will remain firm in our faith and keep trusting God. God has promised that he will strengthen and comfort us in our times of grief. But we still have to pray for those who who are grieving, those who are struggling, that they will experience God's comfort and strength. There are other things where we, we cannot be sure what God will do. We cannot be sure he will heal someone who is ill. We cannot be sure he will save someone who has no faith. But we know that in his character... He doesn't delight in sickness. We know that in his character he wants all to come to repentance. And so unless we have a clear indication from God that we should no longer ask for something that is in accordance with his character, then we persist in prayer. God's timing is different from ours. So I I hope this passage is an encouragement for you who are praying for so long not to give up, but to keep on praying. Secondly, God is sovereign in his plans, and so we should keep trusting and keep obeying. The second promise to Rebecca was that two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the elder will serve the younger. Now, if God had decreed this, then why did Isaac pray this prayer to God for what he thought was Esau, may nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mothers bow down to you. 
That would have been in direct contradiction of God's will, his promise that the, the elder would serve the younger. It was no good Isaac trying to give the blessing to his favorite son Esau. If God had determined that Jacob would be the one who would receive the blessing and the birthright. But also, why did Rebekah and Jacob resort to deceptive means to get Isaac's blessing? If they trusted in God's promise that the elder would serve the younger. Sadly, God sometimes uses the deception, the scheming of human beings to achieve his purposes. The most tragic example of that, of course, is the death of Jesus. It was part of God's plan of salvation. But those humans responsible for his death are still accountable for that. In terms of application for us, when we pray for things, we have to be clear first. Are we praying in accordance with God's will or against it? And where we find that, first of all, is in his word. We can't pray for something that goes against what he says in his word. But if we are praying for something and God doesn't answer our prayers, we would like. We need to pray that we would, he would enable us to trust him. That so we'd be able to continue to obey him. And that we wouldn't take things into our own hands. Back in verse 4, God has said to, to Isaac... I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Then he adds, because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. And that obedience even... Um, included, remember, being willing to sacrifice his son Isaac, even though um, God didn't make him go through with that. Now, it's not that God's blessing uh, depended on Abraham's obedience. After all, it was God who enabled him to be obedient. And we mustn't forget that our ability to obey God depends on his grace towards us. God is the one who changes our hearts, uh, who changes our wills and causes us to want to obey him. He transforms our lives. It's a spiritual transformation. Only he can do that. So it's not that suddenly in our wisdom uh, we think, yeah, this all makes sense as Christianity stuff. Um, I think I'll be a Christian. I've, I've weighed up all the options, and Christianity seems to be the one that is the most uh, sensible out of all those. Now, we may have reviewed all the different religions that may have been, have been part of our process of coming to faith. But there comes a moment when God opens our eyes to see the truth. There comes a moment when he breaks that, that pride within us, the pride that wants to do things our way, when we think we know what is best. And he causes us to trust him and obey him. And it's the same with Abraham. God calls him to respond in faith and obedience. That is God's irresistible grace. He was compelled in his inner being to follow God. Just as Jesus' disciples were felt compelled when he called them to follow him. They saw his authority that he had. And just as we feel compelled to follow Jesus when he calls us. So what are those areas in your life that you're maybe struggling with to trust and obey? Where you're just not quite sure what God's plans are for you. Maybe you're struggling with not having yet found the, the, the husband or the wife that you, you long for. Maybe you're struggling as um, 
Isaac and Rebecca were with uh, the gift of a child, the blessing of, of children. Maybe you're struggling with your own illness or the illness of somebody dear to you. You just can't understand that. Maybe you're struggling because you still haven't found that job you're looking for, you've been looking for for so long. Or you're looking for a new home. It's easy to trust God, isn't it, when things are going well? But he calls us to trust him. He calls us to obey him in all things because he, his plans are perfect for us. I guess one of the hardest things is when we are praying for the salvation of somebody who's dear to us, um, which brings us on to our final point, that God is sovereign in his choosing. And so we should praise him for his mercy. The story of Jacob and Esau um, is used in the book of Romans. If you'd like to turn to that um, in your Bibles, it's Romans chapter 9. Page 1136, if you've got a church Bible. And then let me read from verse, um, from verse uh, 8. It is not the, uh, the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return, and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born, God had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. When God decided that the older would serve the younger, that Esau would serve Jacob, it was before they were born. It was before they had done anything, good or bad. Um, Jacob was not more deserving of God's blessing. Uh, he came out grasping the heel of his brother and so was named Jacob, which is a word play on, on heel grasp or deceiver. Uh, he's dishonest. He's not to be trusted. He lied to his father. Esau was flawed in other ways. Before he was tricked into giving up his blessing, he gave up his birthright for a bowl of stew. The point is that God chose Jacob before either of them were born, before either of them had done anything good or bad. Why did he do that? Well, it says here, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. By choosing us before we were born, it shows that the reason we are saved is purely down to God's mercy. None of us deserves to be saved, but he's chosen to have mercy on us, and that is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Most people still believe, if you chat to them, those who are not uh, Christians, still believe that there's probably a life after death, there's something going to happen, maybe there is a heaven. Um, and if there is, then I'm probably good enough to get in there. I've probably done enough 
to deserve to get in there. I haven't done anything terribly wrong. The thing is, none of us will have lived a good enough life to get into heaven because to be good enough in God's eyes means to be perfect and none of us is perfect. So what hope is there? The hope is in God's mercy and God's compassion which he revealed in Jesus Christ. He says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. His mercy means he won't punish us in the way we deserve but instead he will give us incredible blessings and the reason he will do that is because he loves us. Let's, um, as we finish, go to Ephesians for those wonderful verses of the beginning of the letter to, to Ephesians, chapter 1, page 1173. And verse 4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he's freely given us in the one he loves. Not only did God choose Jacob to be part of his plan of salvation before he was born, he chose us before the creation of the world to become his children, to become his heirs. And he did that in love, he did that out of pleasure, uh, in accordance with his will. He freely chose to do that. Nobody forced him to do that. That was God's decision because he's sovereign. And he did it to the praise of his glorious grace. Which is the purpose for anything God does. He makes plans, he makes promises, and to keep those plans. And he chooses people to be part of his plans. And he does that so that he may be glorified because of his grace. That he may be known, that he may be enjoyed, and that he may be praised. And that is why we're here today. To enjoy God and to praise him for his glorious grace. Let's pray. Father God, I do just pray for anybody here this morning who may be thinking, I'm just not good enough for God. Lord, I pray they may call out to you and they may experience your mercy. That there's nothing we can do that will be good enough, but as we trust in your goodness, your mercy, as we trust in the cross of Jesus Christ, where he took all those sins for us, where he took that penalty for sin, that all our guilt has been done away. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your promises. We thank you that you're faithful to your promises. And we pray that you would enable us to be a people of prayer, that we would pray for your glory to be known in this country, in the world. Lord, we pray that you'd be a, you would make us a people who trust you, who are obedient to you in all areas of our lives. So, Lord, change our hearts from within, we pray. And make us more like Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.